0: Well, good morning to you, good morning. and those in the back, I'm sorry, I know that uh, offering is a little bit of a sacred thing, and uh, I'm up here interrupting your moment, and as the ushers finish, hopefully you'll indulge me some grace, uh, but I'm glad you're here this morning, and yes, I was away, and I was somewhere warm, those of you that came to the marriage seminar, I was in Florida, and uh, it was cloudy for five days, don't you feel bad for me? I think the coldest of God. We had one day, it was high of 18, and we were just all shivering, I'm teasing. It was wonderful to be away, and it's even better to be back. And uh, I am glad you're here this morning. Now, uh, I wanted to brag on the elders for a moment. We have wonderful elders in this church. You may or may not know that our elders each week ask me what the topic to the message is in the Scripture passage and where I'm going, and they pray Uh, because we pray because we are convinced that God's Word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And even if I blow it as a delivery, in other words, how I present it, it doesn't matter because we are convinced and we believe that God's Word is powerful. And you will be impacted. And I hope you're here to believe that. Now this uh, last week, I had a... Interesting experience. I had a friend email me a concern or a link to look at about a church in California. It doesn't matter what church it is. It's a church. I may or may not. I'm kind of neutral on it. I'm not real thrilled with it and uh, what goes on. But uh, they're brothers in the Lord and what they're doing is great. And uh, he sent this link all concerned about this. And so I clicked on the link and I started looking. And I thought, well, man, that's kind of nasty and kind of, I don't know if all the stuff they're saying is true. And uh, so then I thought, I wonder where this comes from. So I kind of looked at the website, and I went down to the basic bones out of the article, and I looked at their statement of faith. I looked at other articles they printed, and I went, oh, these guys are kind of, whether you want to say left-wing, right-wing, they're kind of off in the fringes. And I'm not going to get into what theology they espouse or where they're at, but I can tell you that they certainly have a bias and I needed to read what I was reading with eyes open on the bias. So I was visiting my doctor this week, and I just asked. I said, do people ever come in and hand you stacks of paper about what's wrong with them? She smiled at me, and she didn't want to talk. And I said, no, come on, let's be honest. And she said, well, it's kind of funny. She said, my husband has a, a, a little sticker in his office. That says, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. And she says, I would never do that. He's so bold and out there all the time. And I, I, I laugh. But I, I tell you that whole story to say, we're in the book of Acts. And if you didn't know, the book of Acts is probably the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, misquoted, and uh, sometimes maligned, sometimes written off book in the New Testament. Some will argue it's only History should never take theology. Some would say, oh well, it's just describing events. It is not prescribing what we should live like and what we should do. It shouldn't be what the church is today. And I go, come on, really? You may not know that the Alliance Church is part of the Evangelical movement, which is part of the Reformation movement. And the Reformation movement said, we will look at the Bible and as best as we can, we'll read it literally. We will say it's true, we will apply it to who we are, and that's our tradition. And so let me ask you, as we go through the book of Acts, would you read it with open eyes? Not with your bias. Oh, do some internet search. Go ahead. But make sure you're careful where you read. It was kind of funny. As I kept searching the internet, uh, I thought, oh, man, there's this other guy I know, and I kind of like, and he's written some stuff on this church. So I did a search of this guy's name, and all of a sudden, I find a website that's running down this guy who criticizes this guy. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Where have we gone? Somebody said to me, actually was a speaker for the marriage seminar, he said to me, we used to watch news to get the news, now we watch the news to get an opinion. And it's been so frustrating. Don't go on the internet. Be really careful. I mean, do go on the internet. But be and pay attention to who you are reading. I had one guy come to me once. I was concerned. He was suing a Christian brother. And I said, uh, you know, First Corinthians 6 says, and he handed me a stack of papers saying why 1 Corinthians 6 doesn't apply to him suing this person. And I've had people, well, it doesn't apply to me because they're not Christian. And I said, well, who decided they weren't a Christian? Well, just the way they're behaving. And I go, oh, you know, we, we go through these websites. We want to have stuff that believes, or we've had a bad experience. And I can tell you that in Acts chapter 2, a lot of us want to write off what it says because we've, I had a lady after first service came up and said, thank you, She said, I kind of had a bad experience in a church that went too far and they focused on the gifts and not the giver of the gifts. So she said, thank you so much. And so I'm asking you to open up your eyes, open up your hearts, let's read it and as best as we can, literally, let's see what the scripture has to say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we should never read scripture or even read something on the internet unless we've prayed and asked you to guide us. And we are asking, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to the truth. And honestly, I have had a lot of fear over the years about this subject, and others have had bad experiences, and some just plainly don't know. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, like the song we sang said, would you come and flood the atmosphere? Would you, would you come and open up our hearts? Would you tear down strongholds, thoughts and ideas built up against a knowledge of the truth? In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. My, my iPad's getting old, it's getting a little slow, kind of like me. So Acts chapter 2, I want to give a little bit of background before I go there, as Caleb did a really good job last Sunday too, kind of putting some backstop to it. Now in Acts chapter 2, if, if you were to read back in Luke or into John 14, John 15, uh, Jesus really uh, was warning of the leaders in the church, the disciples, that he was about to die, And he said the Holy Spirit was gonna come and he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere. Do not do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And if you are not aware, this is the reason why Jesus did that is because he was starting something brand new. He was starting something different. Now, the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi really was all about God dealing with the nation of Israel, and as some of the book of Hebrews, 1 Peter describes, uh, the Old Testament was putting a mark on the wall. It was saying, here's, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. And the scriptures say, uh, basically rules were added so that sin would increase. and In other words, you would become really obvious that you were in need of a Savior. We were already sinners before the law was brought about, before the Ten Commandments were brought about. But God brought that about so that we'd be very painfully aware that we were in need of a Savior. And then Jesus came. And Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. In other words, the law was now complete. It doesn't mean that we don't live righteously as born-again Christians, but we now do it a different way. And in fact, I will argue with you, and I will commend with you, don't put the cart before the horse. And let me explain what I mean. In the Old Testament, external stuff and behavior dictated a little bit what was going on in the inside. In the New Testament now, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. We no longer need to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We no longer need to do sacrifices for this, that, and the other thing. Jesus has paid it all. We do not have faith because of works, lest any man should boast, but we have it because of faith. And right now, you as a follower of Christ, it is not about fulfilling some legal requirement. It's about God inside Of you, God is no longer external. In the Old Testament, people were filled with the Holy Spirit, but it usually was for just a short period. I I believe there was one prophet that was filled for his whole life, said he would be. But for the most part, and the Holy Spirit sometimes would come on a whole group of people, and they would do certain things and have boldness and speak in tongues and various things. But as a rule, the Holy Spirit was just kind of momentary here and there. Something changes in Acts chapter 2. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus wanted us to understand that he was bringing a brand new thing in. And you know what the biggest and the worst thing that happens to a lot of Christians, and this is reflected in the research that says that our young people are leaving the church because it does not work. They look at us as older Christians and they say, You guys are so full of hypocrisy. You're so full of bitterness and anger and malice. Uh, you, you are broken down. You're greedy and you're going and chasing after work and you're filling your lives with legalistic stuff. And I just don't think it works. That breaks my heart. We have a gospel, we have a presence of God. I mean, if you weren't moved during those songs, I'm going to ask if you have a heart at all. Do you have a heart at all? So Acts chapter 2, as we come to it, this is a pivotal, important, critical point. I mean, the the cross and Jesus' death and his resurrection were, were like the big events. This is like the secondary, most important event in Scripture. This is an event that really both is described to us, but is also instructional to us. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, now that was a religious feast that the Jews did, they were all together in one place. They were celebrating Passover. All the disciples, all the followers of Jesus. And we know from reading Luke, the very end chapters, Jesus died, he's risen again, he's already appeared to the disciples. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a... Now, they're inside, okay? You got that, right? First service, there was a couple of little uh, uh, paper leaflets fall from the sky, and I was going, oh, man, it's going to get weird in here today. No, I don't think so. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can you imagine that? Do you think God was making it really clear that the Holy Spirit was coming? Why would he do such outlandish things? Because we're a little bit thick. We're a little bit slow. Verse three, they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. So winds blowing, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Can you imagine? And here comes verse four. Here comes the promise. Here comes the new covenant. All of them, not just some of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Remember, Jesus had said, don't do anything till my Holy Spirit comes. The new covenant was a new way of holiness. It was no longer holiness but works by works, but holiness by Jesus. A peace of God is placed in the disciples at this point. The peace of God is placed in you when you pray to receive Christ. Jesus, you, you cannot come to Christ. You cannot become a Christian, the Scriptures say, unless the Holy Spirit draws you and gives you understanding. A lot of us have a problem with this whole living and walking by the Spirit and we, we, we default back into the Old Testament law and into legalism because uh, we start believing lies. We, we start closing doors to God. We start trying to make self-effort work. This coming April, we're going to have a soul care conference. Soul care is for those who are kind of caught up in Sometimes it seems like really right stuff, but it's blocking you from receiving and experiencing God's counsel in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, every one of you, to sign up and come out to that. It's going to be really good. I want to tell you a little bit of my story with the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't necessarily have all the theology or the trappings one way or another. Uh, I've always been, especially as God began to work in me, and I had a conversation with God, and He would talk to me. I've always had a very active, vibrant faith with Him, and uh, when I was in college, and I think it was my second year, I was married already, uh, we had a spiritual emphasis week, And uh, I can remember they told us. I don't even remember what the subject was about. It was probably about the Holy Spirit. I don't remember. But we were told to go off by ourselves and spend a couple hours just in the Word reading it, praying to God, asking God to reveal Himself, uh, praising God. So I was doing that. It was a good time. I, I remember especially... Uh, feeling God's presence like I'd never had it before. And, and then I remember one of my professors who uh, I used to accidentally come across his office, and he started to tell me and teach me about the Holy Spirit, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And nothing I can say per se, there was nothing weird to have, no tongues broke out, no nothing happened. But, but I began a journey from then on. I had an understanding of stuff that I've since read in Scripture. Like, like, for example, I understood I shouldn't date a non-Christian girl. I hadn't read that in Scriptures yet, but I read in the Scriptures and went, oh, okay, that's good, I'm glad to know that. And God is gracious to you with your lack of knowledge of Scripture sometimes. But after those, Mr. Kinchelow, and after that experience with the Holy Spirit, it was about, and I can't remember time, year, two years, six months, I don't remember. But I was spending some time with the Lord like I had started to experience. And the weirdest thing happened to me. I I was sitting there just praying away. And all of a sudden I realized that for two years I'd been speaking in tongues. I have never publicly said that from the pulpit because I do not like the way tongues become so divisive. I do not like the way people think that, oh, I'm such a holy, sanctified, sanctified, great person. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, like faith or, or teaching or any of the other gifts. It is one of the gifts. It, it is Jesus that it's about. In fact, this text, I would argue, is not about tongues. This text is about the Holy Spirit, something brand new, something changed, where, where God is taking the heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh in us. It took me A couple of years to realize I was speaking in tongues. Why? Because that wasn't my focus. It wasn't about me trying to make myself feel better in my broken soul because I now had this great gift. It was about me seeking Jesus and and the Holy Spirit and, and letting the Father and praising the Father in my prayer and reading scriptures to understand who I was in Christ. I tell you my story that I speak in tongues now as a pastor, publicly, boldly. First of all, hopefully, to give you a little bit of credibility, especially about what I'm about to say. I believe tongues is a minor gift, and I didn't know I was doing it. And I believe the bigger point of this text is that the Holy Spirit came. And it was no longer the Ten Commandments and all the rules, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the Ten Commandments, which are moral things that Christians should do, but it is not about the law anymore. It's not about the dietary stuff, not eating shellfish. I hate shrimp, by the way. I think all the prohibitions were or the things you're not supposed to eat from the ocean in the Old Testament, I agree with them because I hate all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So don't try to feed me some fishy, gross stuff. I grew up in Fort St. John, although all my family loves fish. I just never did. But I tell you this story because in my life it's always been about God, not about whatever gift I have. The Christian Missionary Alliance has always been about that. It's been about the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. It's been about seek not, forbid not. We'll touch the subject of tongues a little more in the road when we get to chapter 10, but just a little primer here about tongues, and then I want to move off of it because I don't believe that's what this is. But the tongues mentioned here is the exact same Greek word, by the way, when Paul teaches about it in Corinthians, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. But the tongues mentioned here is literally these guys spoke in tongues, a different language than what they had, that they didn't know before this. And it really was an evidence of the Holy Spirit having come, like the wind, the tongues of fire, they spoke in tongues. God was making it really clear that His Holy Spirit had come. And they were declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. We're going to read that in a moment. Secondly, tongues shows up more times in the book of Acts where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I believe it happens three times. But in the, new, in the book of Acts, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and had boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and had God's comfort. I don't believe it's an evidence per se of anything. I would argue that the biggest evidence that the Holy Spirit is reigning in your life, we are fast food people. It's like, just give me a shot, give me a needle, give me an experience. But I would argue with you, the biggest Evidence of the Holy Spirit actively involved in your day-to-day life, where you are praying without ceasing, where, where you are letting the Spirit lead you, where you are letting the counselor be in your life, where you're letting the power flow through you, is the gifts or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. There is the evidence. Because I have a gift where I can speak in tongues, friends, means nothing. It is good for me. And tongues taught in the book of Corinthians, uh, you find that there is kind of different levels and there's lots of theological debate on this, but some people speak in tongues as just a personal prayer thing. In fact, on the front pew, every Sunday, if you could come right up to my mouth, you would hear me speaking in tongues. It's part of my prayer thing. It's a prayer language. In this case, tongues was so that others could hear the proclamations of God in their language. And I would argue that whenever tongues is publicly spoken, someone needs to interpret that, and that's a teaching of the Apostle Paul. But I would say in this size of church, I wouldn't even want to go there. We're too big. It would be too disruptive. And Paul in 1 Corinthians is really clear, and he says, there needs to be order in the service. And I would see tongues and people translating tongues happening more probably in small groups. And I want you to understand as the scripture teaches that the one speaking in tongues is in control. Just like the prophet is in control of his prophecy. In other words, I don't have this uncontrollable urge to speak in tongues all the time. Sometimes my praise and I just start doing it. I don't just blurt out my tongues. I don't get disruptive. Tongues should be orderly. And again, I've never shared publicly that I speak in tongues, although privately if people asked, I would tell them. But I do not like the arrogance some who speak in tongues have. And I do not believe that tongues is the only evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I would argue with you, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So enough of that tongues talk today. The main point here is that the Holy Spirit has come and new Christians have received new ability And it wasn't tongues. It was power for living, Acts 1.8. It was to be witnesses. It was to have courage. And this is where God began to do a new work on the inside of us. So let's read on. And as we read on in verse 5, we are going to see that whenever the power of God comes, whenever God manifests Himself in you, whenever the fruit of the Spirit comes oozing out of you, there's going to be two kinds of responses. And I believe these responses are connected deeply to the heart. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about tithing and giving to the church. I said that there's a string attached to our heart and our wallet I would ar- argue that there is a string attached to our heart and our response to when God begins to move. Here comes the responses to what has just happened. Verse 5, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, uh, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And you're going to notice something about the text. He gets into kind of detail about it. When they heard this sound a crowd came together, and here's their reaction, in bewilderment. What in the world is going on here? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And that was a little bit of a derogatory term. These Galileans were fishermen, weren't considered terribly intelligent, not terribly educated, and they certainly didn't speak multiple languages then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Jews from everywhere, remember? And then it gives a list of a whole bunch of names, and I'm going to struggle through it and apologize if I don't pronounce it. There was Parthians, there was Medes, there was Elamites, there was residents of Mesopotamia, there was Judeans, there was uh, Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia, Figria, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, and listen to this. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Now, in my last church, I had three guys, and we used to have a prayer time in our church during the services. We were much smaller. And these three guys, they were Tom Kirk and Gary. Tom had Down syndrome, and Kirk and Gary, I'm not sure, they had some kind of mental uh, uh, disadvantage. I don't know what it was. You know, I stand up here as a pastor and go, what words do I say so I don't sound offensive because we keep changing the words? Because as soon as we come up with new words, then we turn it into derogatory terms. But Tom and Kirk and Gary, during the prayer time, they would always have prayer requests, all three of them. And after seven years of it, I got to know these three guys pretty good. In fact, one time they asked me to come over, they lived in a house, and they had somebody that would help manage things and stuff, and they would cook their own meals. Tom, he was on fire for God. The guy with Down syndrome, my goodness, he loved God so much. Even his prayer requests, you could just hear it. Kirk and Gary would almost sometimes just come up with anything, but you could tell him, Tom, you know, pray for my mom. You know, his mom had died a few years earlier, but he'd be praying for my mom. He'd be thinking about her. He had just a So I'd go into his house, and he goes, Pastor, Tom, Kirk, and Gary, come into the basement. basements. So went down in their basement, and he had the whole basement set up like a church, pews, rows, and he had a pulpit, and he said, okay, pastor, sit down, Tom, Kirk, and Gary, sit down. Okay, so I sat down. He went up to the pulpit, he opened up his Bible, and he began to preach the Word. Now, he had Down syndrome, and you couldn't understand half of what he said, but I was moved. This guy loved God, and he loved the Word. Kirk and Gary, on the other hand, I looked over at them, and they were, they were actually kind of trying to sneak away. They were sliding their butts over, and... Now, they were kind of guys They came to church, and they meant, well, Kirk and Gary, but they came because Tom made them come, and maybe you're here because somebody's made you come or you come out of duty, and maybe for you, you're like what I said. Christianity hasn't worked for a long time for you, and I want to ask you about your heart. Do you have Tom's heart? or Kirk and Gary's hearts. Now, they, I believe, probably will be in heaven. I'm not going to judge them. But there is different reactions to God and to the gospel. And in this case, they were bewildered. They were amazed and said, what does this mean? And then you get to verse 13, and you see a little bit of unbelief show up in the group. And I... Think about what had just happened, the miracle that was going on. I mean, people speaking in languages that they shouldn't have known. And they're declaring God. I mean, these are Jews. Jews are God-fearing people. They should have all been amazed and perplexed. But listen to verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. They have had too much wine. Why is it that some respond in one way and others respond in another way? I believe it's our hearts. And some of us have had negative experiences one way or another, or we've been reading some website that's convinced us of this or that, and we bristle and we're cynical of anything of God. We have curled into a protective cocoon of self-reliance and self-indulgence. Sin in its original form is alive and well in some of us. And we mock. And we sit back and ridicule. But there's some of us in our hearts we're sick of the consequences of sin. We're tired of our Striving. I remember years ago, I've told you guys about my plane crash that I was in. I've told you, I think somebody was joking about it on the weekend. Well, Pastor Anthony has seen Jesus. I wouldn't go that far, but it certainly was an experience like I've never experienced. But you know, I lost a best friend in the crash. But yet I've seen how God took that beauty, that that horror and those ashes and that destruction, and he turned it into beauty. 30 plus people prayed to receive Christ. I lost a fear of death that I used to have, and life just was a lot different for me. And I, I was telling this non-Christian girl about this, and at the very end of me talking about people coming to Christ and how God spoke to me and Jesus was there and, I, and all that kind of stuff, she looked at me, at the very end, she looked at me and I said, what? And she said, I can't believe you could be positive. Your best friend died. I can't believe you'd be positive. You were doing God's work as a pastor and you were in a crash. How can you say there's a loving God? And I went away. And honestly, I was bewildered and shaken. And God said to me, Anthony, there's two kinds of hearts in this world. Unbelief, cynicism, criticism, self-reliance. And then there's the Tom's. They have a heart after me. It's not about intelligence by the way. I've known the most smart people in the world. We've got a professor in our congregation, a biology guy. He is so smart. He makes he's humble by the way, so you never know he's so smart, but he is so smart. And he loves Jesus and and Tom, down syndrome. He loved Jesus. It's about the heart. 2 Corinthians 2:16 the apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthians. To the one we are, the truth of Jesus is, the miracles that God brings about, the Holy Spirit flowing through you in fruit, to the one we are an aroma that brings death. We freak people out. We freak their self-reliance out. We, res- we freak out their, their, their relying on the Old Testament law in this case. We, we freak out their desire to live sinfully like they want to. Uh, Just us around, being smiley and kind and loving, it scares them to death because their hearts are hard. But to the other, an aroma, like I smelt in Florida, those flowers and the light breeze, an aroma that brings life. And they're bewildered and they wanna know, what does this mean? And who is equal to such a task? Usually Saturday nights I spend two or three hours going over my message and making corrections. And I didn't say this first service, so you guys get this, you're special. I sat down and I wanted to do my typical fretting over all the details. And the Lord said, Anthony, you're not understanding this message. I want you to set down the message And I want you to trust in me and my power. I want you to just preach it, believe it, live it. And I want to tell you first service, I I don't even know why I did this, but I said, I believe there's 20 of you that need to come down. I can tell you that the first service crowd, I don't know if they're not awake enough or yet or not, but that was being blunt and bold. I often will get quite a few people come to an altar in second service, but we had 20 people come down. And here's where I want to end in a conclusion for you. Do you understand the role of the Holy Spirit for you? Do you understand this stuff about Christianity? It's it's not just, I mean, we've done a good job. We want to get you to repent and believe and have the forgiveness of your sins. But do you understand God wants a relationship with you? He wants to infuse in you. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to overcome sin. I'm not talking perfection. Secondly, do you have a fear of the Holy Spirit? Now don't get me wrong, to become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You can't not come to Christ without the Holy Spirit in your life. But many of us, like Kirk and Tom, we are barely giving Jesus our life and have held on to so many rooms in our lives that we don't let the Holy Spirit into. In Acts chapter 8, which we're going to get to, we find a group of Christians... And the text in the story is really clear. They had become Christians, but they had no understanding or had not been taught about the Holy Spirit yet. The apostles hear about this. They're so thrilled, they're so excited. This group of people have come to Christ. And so the apostle Peter and John go up there, and they find out that they had been baptized in the name of Jesus And as you study and read the text, it's like they'd been taught the first step, the forgiveness of sins, salvation, but they hadn't been taught the second step, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John begin to teach them about the Holy Spirit, and then this is where it gets really good. They lay hands on them. Now, Google search that, and you'll come up with websites that don't let anybody lay hands on you because you'll get demons filling you. You'll find it. Go ahead and look. At the end of first service, I had my elders up here. And I started off with the elders because I think they're a great bunch of guys filled by the Spirit. They have proven themselves time and time again. And we had 20 people down here, and you're going, how in the world did 20 people come down? Well, because I'm gonna do what I never do. I'm usually really passive, but I'm gonna be bold today and say there's, I don't know, 50 of you that need to come down. And you're going 50, well, are you talking about… Sal- I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about some of you have Grown tired in your faith, and your Christianity has become just kind of a, a side thing. Uh, you don't pray without ceasing. You, you don't open your heart to the Holy Spirit in your life. When, when you're going to work in the morning or when you're having lunch this afternoon, you're, you're thinking, This service sucks. This service is. They're not getting a tip. Instead of going, Holy Spirit, how can I encourage this person? Or, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to talk to you? Or, Holy Spirit, how much tip do you want me to give? Are you ready to make a wholesale surrender to Jesus today? First service, I probably we probably saw, and these are pillars in the church. There was at least five or six that, I, a couple of them I prayed for. And I said thank you for being an example. And some of the I I and I gave a appeal to the young generation. I want to say to if you're under eighteen, under twenty five. Uh, This Christianity that I preach about, it works. I wouldn't be who I am today if it was And you go, well, you're not much. You should have seen me before Christ. And I've got a long ways to go, but I get so excited when the Holy Spirit tells me stuff and leads me and directs me. I get so excited when I see the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of my life. I get so depressed when I know I'm walking in the flesh. When I'm living for self, when I'm scrambling and piling up treasures here on earth, when I'm trying to build bigger barns, and God reveals it to me and I just weep. I get discouraged when I look at my bank account and I look what I've been spending my money on. And I'm going to boldly say that there's probably 50 here today that need to come down to the altar. Oh, did you know that I went through this phase from about 20 to, I bet you, 26, where I wouldn't come to the altar? You want to know why? Because I used to get irritated. The people are just—they just proud. They just want to show they're spiritual, so I wouldn't go down. And then one day the Lord said, "You're so arrogant, Anthony. When I tell you to get to the altar, you go. Don't worry what other people think. If they think you're just being showy or arrogant, you get to the altar." And I believe there's 50 people here this morning that need the elders to lay hands on them, and they need to be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, or for the first time. The cart before the horse. If your Christianity has become about do's and don'ts and rules, then you're getting it wrong. Your Holy Spirit needs to be about, or your Christianity needs to be about the Holy Spirit filling you, and you hearing Him, and you listening. Did you know the average Christian prays once a week? Do you think you're operating in the flesh or the Spirit? Did you know the average Christian reads their Bible once a week? How in the world can we have the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit? How can we have the fruit? No wonder our young people are leaving. And I want to say to you, if you're a young person here today, Christianity works. It's powerful. It will bewilder you. You will be amazed. And so I'm going to pray. And I have become to believe more than ever in the last year that God speaks. And maybe there'll be some stuff fall from heaven. I have no idea. I'm no longer afraid. I told you I speak in tongues, so now maybe I'll get fired. I don't know. I don't think so. My elders are great. But it isn't about the gifts. It's about the giver. It's about Jesus filling you and I want to tell you, over and over, there seems to be something special about elders laying hands on. I had John Mayer. I was the first one. I tried to, I tried to get to John before anybody else could, but I had a couple people wanted me to pray for them, so I took care of that. Then I went to John, and, and John, he goes, do you want to kneel down with me? I got bad knees, and I'm old and rickety. I was in a motorbike crash, and I looked at John, and I said, yes, and I got down on my knees. And that big Johnny laid his hands on me, and his prayer was powerful. And I felt his presence. And it was beautiful, and I was bewildered, and I was amazed. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, liquid waves of love. Don't you want that? Don't you want to start a new journey today? And we're gonna keep it up as a church. We're not backing off on this. We got soul care coming, and then we're gonna have a set creed conference, we're gonna have a hearing God stuff coming up. We're gonna journey on in this. We're gonna say to our young people, this stuff works, and we're gonna show them. Like I had at least, oh, there must have been four or five guys over 60 at the front here. And I'm gonna be the first one, and I was one of the first ones at the front. Your pastor, because I haven't arrived, and I need the Holy Spirit, and I need his filling. And as often as God tells me, I will come to the front. So please stand with me as I pray. And the worship team will come up, and they're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit. And if God talks to you, oh, please come down. Don't believe any more lies. Do your Google search later. Check out the websites. Make sure they're legit. But let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father... There may be some people here this morning that their hearts have grown cold. I think of Keith Green's song, My eyes are dry, my faith's grown cold. And there's a lot of us this morning that just need the elders to lay hands on us for a fresh filling. And there are some here this morning, this is all news to them, They understood salvation, but they've been going through this legalistic, following all the commandments, eating this food or that food, showing up at church religiously. And they have got the cart before the horse. And God, we want the Holy Spirit to be in front today. We want the Holy Spirit to have all of our rooms, all of our life. And some of us are going to have to be really bold by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with their two legs to the front and in submission to the authority in this church, they need to say, I need the elders to lay hands on me. I need a fresh filling. So Holy Spirit, speak, show up. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.